may be seated. We've seen in our study of John 3.16 the greatness of God, the vastness of His love, and the object that He has set that love on. There's one more aspect uh, that I would like to look at in our focus on this one verse of Scripture. I want us to turn our attention to the eternal nature of our souls. For God so loved the world that He gave His only one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish. The word we're going to focus on today is perish. But will have everlasting life. We're going to focus on everlasting life. Because see... The reality is, we are all going to live forever. We will all exist, maybe is a better word, forever. Some will exist in eternal punishment, and some will exist in eternal life. But every soul will continue to exist for all of eternity. In a world where everything is changing, where modern medical science seems to be able to cure most every illness known to man. Not all of them, but almost all. In a society that boasts the mightiest military in the history of the world, we tend to believe that life is summed up with our lives. We have such not only a short-sighted view, but a very singular view. Western America. It's very difficult for us to look beyond ourselves and beyond the day we live in. But all the while, your heart and my heart is crying out for something more than this life. It's crying out for those things that are more than this life because God created you that way. He made you so that you would long for something besides the drudgery of this life we live in day to day. Some of you have tried to insulate your world with money, success, popularity, sex, drugs, entertainment, your family. You've tried to wrap yourself up in those things because you think it'll fill the hunger and the void that exists in your heart. I want to tell you, those things can never satisfy you. You will use them and use them up. And they will have you, but you will not have them and you will not have satisfaction. From the very beginning, we've been this way, haven't we? God made Adam and Eve. And the first thing Adam and Eve do shortly after their creation is do what? Become unsatisfied. God had told them, you are created in my image. Is that not enough? Apparently not for Adam and Eve. And apparently not for you and I if we had been in their place. And so Adam and Eve went in search of satisfaction somewhere else. I I, I think about... You know, uh, our world shouting the song, I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction. There's nothing. I mean, that is the anthem of that late 80s, early 90s, wasn't it? Somewhere in there. Maybe early 80s, 70s. It was redone. 60s? Okay. You got to realize I wasn't alive in the 60s. So it was redone for me. And my generation sang it like the 60s sang it. And the 60s sang it like the generation before them sang it. 
And the truth starts to set home when Solomon says, vanity, it's all vanity. He's saying, I can't get no satisfaction. The same anthem was being sung in Ecclesiastes when he said, I've searched the earth, I've worked, I've loved, I've lived, I've gained riches, I'm successful, I'm beautiful, I have it all, and I'm not satisfied. I'm not satisfied. And he, he, he was in the pursuit, wasn't he, as a young man of satisfaction. Adam was in the pursuit of satisfaction. Eve was in the pursuit of satisfaction. And so it's an age-old struggle. Our hearts are longing for something they can't find in this earth. But I want you to know that John 3.16 is for you if you're tired of searching. For God so loved the world that He gave His only, His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him, though they can't find satisfaction in anything else, finds their satisfaction in Him and they will not be punished, but they will live forever. You want satisfaction? It can only be found in this Jesus that's written about in John 3.16. It can only be found in this one who speaks these words to Nicodemus and to us. Let's look at this eternal uh, aspect. First, we're going to start with eternal punishment. First, we have to see there is a such thing as eternal punishment. The truth from this verse for us today is simple. And it's probably the, one of the most important revolutionizing ideas you'll ever wrap your mind around. That is, you and everyone else will perish unless you trust in Jesus Christ. You will perish. We are all perishing when we are apart from Jesus Christ. All of us are dying. But there's some questions I want to answer in order. Your mind might say, what is perishing? I'm perishing, but what is it? The Bible says perishing is being under the wrath of God. Look down in verse 18 of this chapter. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. You're perishing already because He has not believed in the name of the Son, the only Son of God. Verse 36 is a very sobering look. Look at verse 36 of this uh, chapter. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. The summary verse for this chapter, this look at life, eternal life, eternal punishment, is John saying, if you believe in Jesus, you have life. If you don't believe in Jesus, you're already perishing. You're already dying. You are already facing punishment. It's imminent. It's here already. But, who, but, he, but uh, as we look at these things, I want, I want to show that perishing is the, is the absence here under the wrath of God. The wrath of God is the absence of the love of God. To perish means that you will remain under the wrath of God because you will not trust in Christ. And that's a terrible place to be. Perishing means fiery torment. We don't like to look at this, but the truth is still the same. John wrote in Revelation 14.10, I put it on the screen so you don't have to turn to it. He says, He, the person who does not believe in Jesus, He will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of His anger, and He will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Perishing is not 
going out of existence. Perishing is existing in fiery torment, knowing that you do not have a relationship with the Son and with the Father. Punishment is hell, not annihilation. I've heard uh, people talk about things like, um, if I had to go on living any, any more in this life, I'd just soon go to the next. It can't get much worse. Oh, yes, it can. And it will. For every person who dies outside of Christ, things get much worse. You can't imagine it. I can't imagine it. We can't imagine it because the glory of God surrounds us. The love of God surrounds us. The body of Christ surrounds us. The warning signs surround us. The Word of God is for us. And we have it all around us. And we live in an environment that is flooded with God. And we can't imagine a darkness so dark where there is no light because there is no sun, Jesus Christ. We can't imagine a torment that is never ending because all things are temporal in this life. We can't imagine a place where there will be no rest from your torment. We can't imagine it because we've never visited it. But trust me on this, the Bible is clear. Just from this one verse alone we see, if you do not believe in Jesus Christ, you face this eternity. Not annihilation, but torment. Perishing means separation from the glory of God. 2 Thessalonians 1.9, Paul writes, These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. You take the worst natural disaster you can imagine where there seems to be no end in sight. And that pales in comparison because even then God's staying hand of love and mercy is on us. I think about uh, the tsunami. You know, it, just imagine the sheer and utter agony and torment and fear and all of the things that must have gone on in the hearts of the men and women that watched their lives be swept away. And it would seem there is no end when the ocean is as far as you can see and all you can see is a wall of water that keeps growing bigger and bigger and pushing further and further inland you have to begin to think, is this ever going to end? Minutes become hours. Hours become days. Days become months. And months become years without end, it seems, in this suffering. And yet, the hand of God stayed that storm, stayed that wave, and saved millions of people. It didn't cover the earth. It only covered a few people. And even for them, the water went back in its place. And they were relieved. But in hell... In punishment, the glory of God is absent and there is no ceasing from these punishments. Here in this world, God reveals Himself in thousands of ways around you every day. But you may not see it, but He is at work. In hell, the perishing will be cut off from His work, all of His work, except His wrath. That's the only experience they will have. That's the only experience you will have if you die outside of Jesus Christ. Perishing is everlasting and irreversible. John 3.16 says that punishment is the opposite of eternal life. Now I know some play word games and they look in their lexicons and they find that the word eon or ion 
does not only mean eternity. It means for the ages upon ages. The only problem with the argument is that if you do away with the eternal punishment of man, you do away with the eternal life of man. And so not only will hell cease, but heaven will cease. The only problem with the arguing from this one word everlasting in your text or ion in the Greek, that that can't mean age of, uh, uh, eternity, it only means ages on ages, The only problem with that, the flaw in that argument is this. There is no word in the Koine Greek any stronger for everlasting than age upon age upon age upon age. In other words, the writer, when he wrote Ion, had in mind something that is without end. Something that stretches from age to age to age to age into the future with no end. It also stretches to the past. In the Old Testament, God is called the everlasting Father. That word everlasting in the Greek is ion, and it means God existed forever. There is no beginning, there is no ending. So if you give up eternal punishment, you give up the deity, the eternal nature, you give up eternal life, you give up all that this life is for if you're living it for Christ, you give up your reward, you give it all away if you waffle on this point. Jesus speaks of eternal life in direct contrast to eternal punishment. The argument is foolproof because it is based on the belief that God is eternal. If God is eternal, then His reward and His punishment are both eternal. So, you've got to go a long way around this uh, verse, John 3.16. You've got to go a long way to do something, to do away with the irreversible and everlasting punishment that is handed out. Matthew uh, 25, 46. And these will go away into eternal punishment, you see, but the righteousness into eternal life. See, Jesus speaks of eternal life and eternal punishment together. He does not separate the two ideas. He always holds them in tension. He always holds them together. Luke 16, 26 tells us in the story of the rich man and Lazarus, Lazarus looks down at the uh, rich man or across the gulf to the rich man in hell. And the rich man looks back to Abraham and Lazarus. And, and he says, send someone, the man in torment says, send someone with one drop of water to soothe my tongue. For I thirst. He's thirsty. He's tormented. He's in agony. And Abraham says, there is a gulf fixed between us and you. No one can cross from there to here or from here to there. We have in this idea, the idea that neither will Christ or can Christ cross over that same gulf. We don't need to stretch it too far, but the reality is Christ is not in hell. Neither will He ever be in hell. That gap, that chasm is so great that it has been shut off to everyone. It's not a matter of if it's everlasting or irreversible. That is a fact. And you may say, nobody ever told me. When you face Christ, when you face Him outside of Himself, when you face Him as the judge and not the Redeemer and not the Savior, you may say, no one ever warned me. 
And the Lord will be able to say to you now, on September the 24th in 2006, you sat ordained by me in a congregation called Grace Fellowship. And I sent one of my men and he preached these messages to you. And you have heard. And you did reject. And you were warned. Now is the acceptable time. Today is the day of your salvation. The great news of John 3.16 is that the love of God rescues us from the wrath of God through faith in Jesus Christ. We see that what punishment is. Why are we all perishing or being punished if we don't believe in Christ? It's simple. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says the wages of that sin is death. Everyone is perishing because everyone is sinned and we're all earning death. All is inclusive. This is an inclusive statement of all mankind. Everyone from Adam until the last man has sinned and fallen short. But there's a less simple but crucial way of seeing this. Why is sin so serious and why is it deserving of perishment, of perishing eternally? And this is an argument that is age old, but I've actually been confronted with it recently. And that is, we are finite. You have to put your thinking cap on. God is infinite. I'm finite. I committed a finite number of sins, right? I mean, they may have been millions. I don't know, but there is a number of the sins, billions zillions you stretch the number out but there's a number it's quantifiable because your life began and it ends at some point right so if i'm finite my sin is finite why must i suffer an eternal punishment if you punished your children if i punished my children because of their sin for all of eternity would i not be unjust it's a basic law, isn't it? The, the, what, the punishment has to what? Fit the crime. The Old Testament faced this. If a man uh, stole, there was a just punishment for that. He had to pay back retribution. He had to be punished. If a man killed another person, that was a whole other story, wasn't it? In the old, the just Punishment was capital punishment. Death for that man. If you take the life of another, your life shall be taken by man. The Bible says. And so, there was just punishment. And we've set up a system, or God has set up this system of justice. The punishment must fit the crime, and my crime was finite. So how can God then punish me forever? Because your sin was not against another human. Your sin was against an infinite God. And so though your sins are numbered and they are however great or however small, and they are finite, one sin against an infinite God is an infinite offense. The reason that He can hold us accountable for all of eternity is because He is not like us. And because He is perfect and because He is holy and because He is infinite, then the sin must be paid for. He is the beginning and the ending of all things. Every person depends on Him for everything. We owe Him perfect trust and allegiance and love and worship and honor and respect and obedience because He made us and owns us and sustains us. Therefore, if you reject Him, 
you have made an infinite mistake. If you distrust or disobey or neglect or enjoy other things other than Him, it's an infinite sin, not a finite sin. Lying to me is here one day and gone to the next. Sinning against the Holy God who is infinite is infinite. It never ends. As long as He exists, that sin exists. You cannot make payment and it must be paid for. Why are we all perishing? Because we've all sinned. Because we, the punishment for that sin is death. And why is it eternal? Because we have an eternal God. The more you do, you dwell on the more you, and the more precious this verse becomes. God loved us enough that He gave His only Son to rescue us from this awful and dreadful perishing. It's also helpful to hear this threatening view. I want you to understand Some would say, well, is it even productive to tell people they're perishing? Yes, it's productive. Many of us could testify of how the wrath of God drove us to the gospel where God relieved our fear. I want to say no man is saved unless he is afraid. You can't be saved. I told the little children today in catechism, 4th through 6th grade, you can't be saved from sin unless you know what sin is. You can't repent from something you don't know. And so, yes, it is both helpful and needful and necessary that we talk about eternal punishment. Some would argue differently. They would say, oh, we're in the age of grace and you're just scaring people into the kingdom. I forgot who the great preacher was, but he said, I'd rather them be scared into the kingdom than to go happily into hell for eternity. And you may leave here today afraid. If you're without Christ, that's not a bad position to be in. Because the Bible speaks strongly towards you that there is a day coming when you will pay the price if you do not trust in Him. In 1725, John Newton set out. He became a captain of a slave trading ship. He was rebelling against his faith. He was rebelling against his father's faith. He was brought up in a Christian life. He was an altar boy at his church. He was a person in the choir But he hated the things of God, and as soon as he had opportunity, he rebelled. He almost shipwrecked, and while God was dealing with him after that, he was in Londonbury, Ireland, hunting. As he was hunting, he started up a steep cliff with his his gun there beside him. As he was climbing, he lost his balance, and the gun went off next to his face. Singed his face, it blasted the bill of his cap off. After that experience, he sat down and contemplated life. Isn't it funny how near-death experiences cause us to contemplate where we are with Christ? It's happened to me. I've been in situations where I thought I was going to die. And I thought, okay, am I right with the Lord? Because I don't want to die unless I know as sure as I can that Christ is my God. And he is the only one for me. And so he had that day where he sat after having this gun almost blow his head off, literally. And he thought about Christ. And he found the place where Christ was and he was saved. So he wrote this hymn. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. And grace my fear relieved. 
I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, and now I see. And why do I tell you that? It's from his autobiography. It's his own account. Out of the Depths is the name of that autobiography. Why do I tell you that? I tell you that this, because it's not my job to relieve your fear. It's not your mom and dad's job to relieve your fear. It's not your husband or your wife's job to relieve your fear. If your fear will be relieved, it will be relieved by Jesus Christ through His grace. That's the only way it can be relieved. So if you're here today and you're afraid and you think after hearing this message, what, what if I'm not saved? What if I'm not in Christ? What if I don't believe in Him? And you begin to contemplate those things and fear begins to rise. There's no solution to that fear but trusting in His grace alone. It's the only way that fear can be relieved. But that's not the only thing we see is eternal punishment. We need to understand that there is eternal life in Christ. Eternal life is in Christ. John 1.4 says, In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. John 14.6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Eternal life is first and foremost the life of the Son of God. God is eternal life. That's why John Piper wrote the book, God is the Gospel. Salvation is not the things we get in heaven. Salvation is getting Christ. Getting God. God is eternal life. Therefore, it's supernatural. It's not something we have by our very nature. We are opposed to eternal life. If we get it, we get it as a gift. Richard and Amato kept our children. And uh, Richard was reading, uh, or Hannah Grace was reading, I think, the Sinclair Ferguson's big book of questions about Jesus. All you parents, there's, there's a series of these big book of questions. They're great for causing a little one to think. She's reading along. She got some words that's kind of hard, you know. Richard's going to try to trip my four-year-old up. Says, what is grace? Without thought, grace is a gift. You can't have Christ on your terms. You can't have Christ any other way but as a gift. Eternal life is a gift. It is not earned. It is not merited in any way. It is not, it's not your nature that saves you. Nothing but a gift of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And that gift is Himself gives eternal life. Eternal life is supernatural. Punishment is our nature. Eternal punishment is what we get by our nature. Eternal life is supernatural. It's not natural to us. And as a supernatural act above what we can, uh, that we cannot manufacture. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. Eternal life comes to us through the Word of Christ. John 6, 68. Jesus says, will you leave me also? And Peter says, to whom shall we go? What? You have the words of eternal life. Peter found his satisfaction in Jesus Christ alone. The life of Christ is mediated or brought to us by the Word, and it's through His Word that we receive eternal life. He Himself is called the Word of God. Remember our study. John 1, 1 and 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word became flesh, verse 14 says, and dwelt among us. The word, Christ is eternal life. The Word of Christ brings us eternal life. In hearing of the words of eternal life, God draws us 
or draws people to Christ. John 6.44 says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Christ is where eternal life is received. And we have to come to Him to receive it, but we come through His Word drawn by God the Father. John 3.20, look there in the passage in John 3.20, it says, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. By nature, you are under punishment, you are under condemnation, you are a sinner, you are dead, you have no hope. All these things are true and you don't want to come to the salvation of Christ You want to stay in the darkness by nature. You want to hide from the light. We are roaches in our nature who when the light is switched on, run to the darkness. We are nothing more than roaches who run from the light of the truth of the gospel. So how are we saved then? God must draw us to Himself by His Son through His Word And when He draws us, we will be exposed and our hope will be in Him. He overcomes our hatred for the light and opens our eyes to start seeing Christ for who He really is. That moment happened for you. It may have been years ago, but it happened for you. Think back to that time when Christ became more than a set of historical facts, but He became reality to you. If eternal life is going to come into our lives, we have to start seeing Jesus. And that's what God does when He draws us to Himself. It opens our eyes. It awakens the sleeping. It saves the dead man. We receive eternal life through believing in Christ. When we hear the words of life and yield to the drawing power of God and believe in Jesus, we receive Him into our lives and with Him we receive eternal life because He is eternal life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. In John 15, 5, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. In other words, if you believe in Christ, you are united to Him and the flow of eternal life begins to flow into you. And I want you to know that in believing in Him, you have eternal life now, not in the future. If you believe in Him today, you have eternal life today. Jesus in 5, uh, shows us in 5.24, Truly, truly, I say to you, He who hears my word and believes him who sent me has. Not that he will have it, but he has it now, eternal life. And does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Eternal life is now. It is in the present. Believing is the link that unites us with the love of God. For God so loved the world. Then you can put in there faith. And then what happens? You're moved from death to life in John 3.16. If you want to diagram and sum up the message, it's this. For God so loved the world that faith in Christ brought you from death to life. John 3.16 And that's the only way you come. And it's the only way that you or I can be saved. The eternal life is a relationship with God the Father and God the Son. John 17.3 says, This is eternal life that we know you. The only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life doesn't come to those who pray to prayer. Eternal life is for those who have a real relationship with the Father and the Son. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you have a relationship with me, you have a relationship with the Father. The question is, do you have a relationship? If you don't have a relationship, you don't have eternal life. And you're under punishment. 
Eternal life is not interrupted at death. John eleven twenty five through 26 Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. I think what it means is this. Everyone who has eternal life by faith will never have that life stripped away from them. Even if you die in your flesh, you will live. Physical death brings an end to this temporary life so that we might live in the fullness of eternal life. Jesus said in John 10.10, I have come that they may have life and that life more abundant. And when you die, you get the fullness of that abundance. You're with Him in His presence. Eternal life is not interrupted by death. Eternal life will be made complete when your body is raised from the dead and reunited with your spirit. At your death, your body goes in the ground, Paul says, as a seed, and it will bear much fruit. It will be raised from the dead, he says. John 6, 40, Jesus says, This is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have eternal life, and I myself will raise Him up on the last day. Do you fear death? Jesus says, fear it no more. You know what stops us from the missionary call of the New Testament? It's not knowing our God. It's not knowing the punishment that is on the world because of their lack of belief. And it's a lack of understanding on this point. Though they take my body, they cannot have my life. We live a life of preservation, not of daring. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His Son. What is that? He gave His Son as, so that you might have faith in Him and move from death to life. Once you've moved from death to life, Even if they kill you, they cannot take you back to death. It is appointed to man once to die, then face the judgment. That is an averse towards this, but logically, if you can't live but once and then face the judgment, if you're alive in Christ, you will be evermore alive in Christ. They can't kill you. It's why it's the secret of why man who stood in our pulpit just a few weeks ago, Rod Connor. He's no hero. He's no superhuman. But it's why he can go into the deepest and darkest jungles of Papua New Guinea and talk to cannibals who still eat, or just a generation ago were eating the flesh of men who came to them. It's why he can go and look them in the face and tell them about the gospel because he understands they cannot kill him. They can only take his body. And once they take it, that body falls to the ground. It's reconsumed by this earth. But our soul goes to Christ. And on his return, he will raise up that new body that we all need. And when we are united, we experience eternal life in its fullest sense. Eternal life lasts forever and ever. Jerry Healy, in a Bethel College chapel I listened to on the net, on the internet said, if a little bird should fly from the coast of the sea to a great plain and deposit one grain of sand 
every thousand years, when that mound of sand is the height of the Mount of Everest, eternity will just have begun. If a bird takes one grain of sand every thousand years and puts it in a place, and he does that over and over until it's the size of Mount Everest, eternity just got started. It has no end. It's forever and ever. And why does eternity exist? For the glory of God. 250 years ago, my, one of my dead heroes preached a sermon on eternity. I've put the quote there for you. Jonathan Edwards says this. I want to close. I think it's important that we close the verse, the study of this verse with these words. The fountain that supplies the joy and delight which the soul has in seeing God is infinite. The understanding may extend itself as far as it will. It doth but take its flight into an endless expanse and dive into a bottomless ocean. It may discover more and more of the beauty and loveliness of God, but it never will exhaust the fountain. Then he comments on the infinite love of God based on Ephesians 3, 18 through 19, where Paul says that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Edward says we can never by soaring and ascending come to the height of the love of God. We can never be descending come to the depth of it or by measuring know the length and breadth of it. Let the thoughts and desires extend themselves as they will. Here is space enough for them in which they may expand forever. How blessed therefore are they that do see God, who are come to His exhaustless fountain, Jesus Christ, after they have had the pleasure of beholding the face of God millions of ages, it will not grow a dull story. The relish of the, this delight will be as exquisite as ever. Edwards closed that sermon by saying, we are as a peak stretching into the eternal distance of height that soars after a larger peak that ever runs higher and higher above us. And we never reach the top of that peak because that peak is everlasting, eternal God. And His love is that peak which stretches above us. We are like a mountain climber in eternity, climbing up that peak, thinking when we see a ceiling of clouds, I've reached the top just a little further only to break through those clouds in eternity and see yet another expanse which reaches again into the far reaches of eternity. And when you climb there and you know that love of God, you think I have exhausted Him. It's all there is to know. And He says, no, there's a higher peak which you must scale. And then you begin to scale that peak. Eternity is nothing more than trying to exhaust the exhaustless fountain of Jesus Christ. I ask you, I beg you, for God so loved the world that He gave His only, His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him, I'm begging you, believe in Him so that you might move from death to life. And having that life, never die. Please, as I beg with you, hear these words. And I beg the Holy Spirit that He will convict you of your sin, that you might know who you are without Him and who you will be because of Him. And you might stretch into eternity trying to exhaust the exhaustless God.
that we serve. He loved us. He gave His Son. He moves us from death to life. Believe in Him. Believe in Him today. Father, forgive this mortal man for trying to comprehend the immortality of the One who has created all things. And I say with Paul, as I contemplate the thought of your love, it is higher than anything I can reach to. It is lower than anything I can descend to. And it is immeasurable. Its length and width are immeasurable. God, we could never exhaust your love. And so, may we, with your grace, reach for that peak. May we strain for that goal which is the high calling which we've been called to in Jesus Christ. May we look into Your face. May we see who You are. May we cry out with Moses, Your prophet. Show us Your glory. And Lord, if we could only see but just a bit, just a piece, just a fragment, our hearts would be satisfied. We would be full. And yet, You would be still unexhaustible our minds are only part of the equation God you must change the heart it's not enough to know the facts I trust that if they have come faithfully and they have heard this exposition of John 3.16 they know the facts they know that you are a great God who is eternal and everlasting they know that you have a love which is immeasurable and, and everlasting, they know that you gave your only and one and only Son. They know these things, and now today they've heard there is punishment and there is life, and they know the only way is through your Son. Believe in Him, and you will be saved. And yet, they can leave with all of those facts and go to hell unless you change their heart. Please, God, do what only you can do for those who are lost in this congregation today. Make them call out. Draw them to Yourself and save them from their sins. Lord Jesus, we love You. We praise You. We adore You. And it's in Your name we pray. Amen.